Hey, this is Dave Infante. Welcome to Vine Pairs Tap Lines, a weekly interview series with brewing icons, industry insiders, and outspoken experts about the United States' most beloved and best-selling beers. It's modern American history, one beer at a time. The legal code that dictates the production, distribution, and sale of beer in these United States is pretty straightforward, Tap Lines listener. <laughs> I'm just kidding, it's an absolute shit show. Ever since Prohibition was repealed, most of the regulations regarding alcohol are on state house books, not federal ones. 50 states, 50 sets of booze laws. As you can imagine, idiosyncrasies abound, and South Carolina is home to plenty. Until 2006, for example, bars in the Palmetto State had to serve liquor out of mini bottles. To this day, ABC stores there can't sell on Sundays. Take it from a guy who used to call South Carolina home, that one's a hassle, but you mostly learn to live with it. In the mid-90s, when a young Jamie Tenney arrived in the state from her native New Jersey, South Carolina law prohibited beers over 6.25% alcohol by volume. This holdover from Prohibition was something that Tenney, who would go on to open North Charleston's Coast Brewing Company with her husband, David Merritt, in early 2007, eventually decided was something she couldn't learn to live with. It wasn't about the beer, she says, it was about the choice. With the help of craft brewing colleagues in neighboring North Carolina who had successfully pressured their own state lawmakers to hike ABV limits there, she and some like-minded South Carolinians formed Pop the Cap SC and started making calls. It was slow going at first, with opposition from condescending lawmakers, public safety groups, and change-averse wholesalers, of course. There were plenty of setbacks and more snap road trips to the state house in Columbia than she cares to recall. But midway through 2007, just months after Tenny and her husband first threw open the doors at Coast in North Charleston, the Pop the Cap bill was signed into law, paving the way for South Carolina's then laggard brewing industry. This is a wonky one, Taplines listener, a tale of grassroots organizing and making noise in the provincial halls of power in the Deep South. All in the name of bigger, better beer. It's Jamie Tenney, it's Coast Brewing Company, it's popping the cap on South Carolina's beer scene, and it's all right here right now on Vine Fair's Tap Lines. Jamie Tenney, welcome to Tap Lines. Hi, Dave. Jamie, where are you joining us from today? <gasps> My new office in the new taproom space. New office in the new taproom space in beautiful North Charleston, South Carolina. Listeners, you're in for a real treat today. We have the tenacious, the bold, the brave, the uh, unable to be, the tired maybe sometimes, Uh, Jamie Tenney, one half of the husband-wife team behind uh, North Charleston's uh, Coast Brewing. Um, Coast is one of the more OG of the South Carolina craft brewers in the scene, uh, in the Palmetto State, and she's here today uh, to discuss a really pivotal moment that uh, to a large extent, built that scene, as we're talking about. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, the nitty-gritty work of engineering the economic and legislative environment for craft brewing to thrive, because, listeners, if you're only a certain age, you might not realize it wasn't always this way. Uh, things weren't always this easy. You know, you couldn't just walk into any gas station or onto any commercial airline and grab a craft beer. Uh, that wasn't the case in, in South Carolina. It wasn't the case until a lot more recently than you might think. Jamie, 
I'm stealing your thunder. You are the one that should be talking. They should be hearing from you. <laughs> I'll shut up right after I ask you this question. Tell us a little bit about Coast for those who haven't had the pleasure of, of visiting uh, uh, your facilities, your your fantastic tap room. Um, <laughs> tell us what what uh, what the operation is like down there with you and David. Well, uh, you know, I gotta gotta clean the cobwebs out because it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> We started this thing a bit a bit ago when we were much younger in our twenties, which you know, thank God, because if I had to if I had to start from nothing now, I wouldn't be started. <laughs> um, we started Coast two thousand seven as our official start date when we you know secured a building and bought mm. equipment and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that'll be seventeen years in February. Um, started pop the cap in two thousand five in hopes to open you know sooner than later. Um, so yeah, we're the second oldest brewery in Charleston, right after Palmetto, who was, you know, a nineties brew pub. So yeah, we've, we've been doing it a long time and David is is the one here still making beer, running the show. And yeah, it's been a, it's been a ride. (laughs) The beers are made with organic ingredients. Uh, I don't normally put my thumb on the scale because we have uh, guests on tap lines from all over. I haven't had the the opportunity to drink everyone's beer. I have drank Coast beer. I'm a big yeah, fan of Coast beer. That's half the reason we made it through the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was one of the loyal uh, folks parking six feet away from the next car over and then uh, uh, waddling up to buy my flat of Coast Kolsch, yeah. um, you know, with a mask on and everything. But uh, Coast makes fantastic beer. Anyone who has the opportunity to, I highly recommend going to check it out. But this episode of, uh, of tap lines, like all episodes of tap lines is focused, not just on the liquid, as they say in the business, it's, it's going to be focused on the business. And like I teased just a moment ago, we're going to be talking about, um, you know, the scene and how that came to be coasts role in it, your role in helping to nurture it. Um, when you came to South Carolina, what, what, what was that? The, like the late nineties that you arrived in South Carolina? When did you personally get there? Yeah. 93. So 30, okay. 30 freaking years. Yeah. And Jamie and I both share heritage from the great state of New Ooh. Jersey. Shout out, shout out to close personal friend of the pod, Bob Menendez. Send us a few gold bricks. We are a little lacking in the treasury department here at Taplines. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so you moved from from New Jersey to South Carolina in '93. Yep. Um, when do you personally get involved in what was or what would become the craft beer scene? I suppose at the time it was called the micro brewing uh, scene, if it was called anything at all. If it was called anything. Um, yeah. <laughs> me, me and David, of course. Um, he started homebrewing as you know as a teenager. The old uh, homebrew kit for Christmas trick. <laughs> mm-hmm. that old chestnut yeah. Right, yeah exactly so you know and so he was making it at home and um we had kids I mean I was in you know the whole the whole deal so I was a little busy but that's just always been his thing as as far as I can remember you know he was tapping on tapping on somebody's shoulder hey can you buy me Pete's Brown and they were like what is that wow <laughs> give me some Sierra Pale Ale and it was just almost non-existent here um sure. partly because the alcohol laws and partly just the culture wasn't wasn't developed. A lot of the energy at that time was coming out of California, was coming out of the Pacific sure. Northwest. North Carolina had its own blue sure. laws that it was struggling with. So like there wasn't even a lot of adjacent. Georgia is still struggling with a lot of their blue laws. So yep. there wasn't a lot of regional craft beer that was flowing into the South Carolina market at that time, it sounds Correct. like. Correct, yeah. The, those yeah. two were the, the best you could get. And at that time, we're, yeah, we were excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so so David, uh, for those who don't know, David is David Merritt, uh, who is the the brewmaster, head brewer. How do we refer to David? He'll call you janitor. Right, the stainless steel polisher. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. He'll do it all, but still, you know, still washing kegs, still making beer, still putting his hands on everything. He is the other half of the husband wife team at Coast, of course. Um, so you so you meet David, you you sort of find yourself uh, interacting with the homebrew community, or starting to get a feel for and a taste for uh, these sort of, I suppose at that time considered exotic, you know, uh, micro brews coming out of uh, off of the West Coast and making their way sometimes to South Carolina. Uh, what does the scene look like in Char- Charleston's the biggest city in South Carolina? Was there uh, there were brew pubs, right? There was some beer production going on. Can you can you characterize it, uh, what you were seeing at that time? We had one brew pub downtown, South mm. Henry, um, and David actually was working there under Frank, who was, you know, probably the most experienced brewer at that time, making making every style under the sun um, at South End, which was right in downtown, um, which actually would later become a brief Lagunitas, <laughs> the same building. Uh, did not did not last there, but that that was, as far as I can remember, that was the only brew pub early on. Then there was a couple of small ones like Zebos, if you can remember any of that. But and Palmetto, which was considered a microbrewery at the time. Sure. Um, and that was it. And a, and a and a pretty strong but small homebrew scene. Mm. Where were people getting? Like, was there a homebrew supply shop? Like, where were pe- was it mail order stuff? Like, where were people getting stuff? Yeah, believe it or not, there was in West Ashley, kind of like where Charlestown fermentary is and the guy mm-hmm. if i'm not mistaken the guy that was running that josh quigley owns a brew pub now up in like Pauly's island so like another guy who's just been doing it as long as david a, a very long time so there was a yeah a little homebrew shop where you could go and actually like put your hand on materials and and go home and make a beer wow man i love that i feel like depending on what part of like sort of craft brewing history you look at there's these like moments of you know, concentration of talent, of enthusiasm, et cetera, et cetera. And then you see the diaspora of that like talent and enthusiasm filter out into different parts of the state, different parts of the country. Like you saw, of course, a lot of that in, you know, the late sixties, early seventies as, uh, the, the Ken Grossman's of the world, uh, start passing through, uh, Fritz Maytag's operation over at Anchor Brewing Company and then going out into the broader region. You know, like South Carolina, of course, as we as we have discussed and we will discuss, was behind for some some reasons having to do with the regulations pertaining to the brewing industry. But still, like you talk about, uh, you know, in the late 90s, there was a guy running a homebrew shop in one place and now he's he might be running a, it sounds like he's running a brew pub yep. in another part of South Carolina. I love that. Yeah, there was this dedicated few um, and most, as far as I know, are still dedicated in a direct way or indirect way. But yeah, there was those early, early on guys and gals, um, who, yeah, that was their thing and they're, they're sticking to it and that's. Yeah. 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 What were people drinking at that point, Jamie? Not you guys specifically, cause you guys were obviously drinking one another's homebrew or, or, you know, maybe this, uh, this year in Nevada, uh, and, and Pete's wicked when you could get your hands on it. What are your contemporaries drinking? What's being served at the bar? Oh, back then? Oh, gosh. Um, I, I would say all your standard stuff. You know, yeah. I, again, Sierra Nevada was, pale ale was always like, you just saved my life. It's the only, even, do, you know, shitty bars <laughs> right. that you didn't care would have it at least. So you're like, you know, we'd probably drank our weight in that just because, you know, you could, you could get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, but other than that, it was, you know, it was standard 
American lager. Stuff. All the macro lagers, yeah. the, the bud, bud cores, any high, like any imports were imports popular in Charleston at the time or not really? I don't remember, you know, again, we had kids, little kids at the time too early. So what we weren't going out to bars and probably because half because we couldn't half because there was nothing we wanted to drink. So. Right. <laughs> South Carolina also somewhat infamously listeners may be familiar um, with its restrictions around free pour for, for foolproof spirits. So South Carolina's cocktail, uh, uh, culture such as it was at the time was organized around mini bottles, right? They were serving. Yeah. And th- this is a whole other set of blue laws that took a lot of time and a lot of agony to reform, but the drinking culture it's, it seems um, in Charleston, like in terms of volume, people were drinking, but in terms of quality, maybe not, you know, certainly not where it is, not where it is now. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you, so David is working where he's at. He was at South End, right? He was at South End and then Palmetto went to beer school, came back at Palmetto and then kind of slowly gearing up to do our own thing eventually in 07. But again, had to had to change some laws for that to be realistic. Had to take a quick detour up to Columbia, South Carolina, where the state legislators meet and, you know, enact policy. Do you remember, Jamie, when you first sort of came face-to-face with the limitations around South Carolina's, like, beer laws? Like, when did you first, like, grapple with I mean, you probably were aware of it, maybe it was talked about. When did you, like, sit down and actually, like, figure out what the deal was? Probably at South End going, you know, you can't have no beer over 6.2%. Okay, well, Mm. that limits some styles. Same with Palmetto. They they could only make a handful of beers. Not that all beer has to be over 6.2. I mean, shit, Kolsch is 4.8. But, right. if you, you know, if you're if you're waging your life, career, financial, everything on a business and you can only in your pigeonholed into a very small sector, then it becomes painfully you become painfully aware like, oh, so we can't do that. It's a big missing piece from a portfolio. Correct. Especially I mean, this is right around the time you mentioned Pete's Wicked. But this is around the time where the American drinkers craft beer palette is growing. People are excited about craft beer. They want to drink more of it, but they are also moving into what we now know as sort of the two decade long run of IPA being the dominant style, moving away from brown ale, moving away from, you yeah. know, uh, uh, blonde in, in more towards that, like hop forward, sometimes higher ABV style. Yeah. We're not talking about Imperial in, uh, India pale ales just yet. I mean, I'm sure people were doing one offs here and there, but we are talking about West Coast IPAs and, you know, stuff was coming in maybe close to that ceiling, right? Yeah, if they were, you know, I think they were just ignoring the whole segment altogether here in South mm. Carolina just because, you know, why? It's a lot of work to have to go, oh, this but not that, that but not this. So I think it was just largely ignored um, because, again, all that gets lumped into one. Anything over, say, 6.2% is just high gravity, which don't even get me started on that. Um, it's all high gravity, so we can't have that, so don't mess with it. But yeah, the, I, the demand was there. It was small, but certainly, um, you know, there's a reason we eventually got laws passed is because there were consumers who, who wanted it. Yeah, and as with anything, whether it's bike lanes or, uh, you know, whatever, any, like, type of, like, legislative or regulatory change, there's 
this concept of induced demand, right? Like if things are available, more people will likely engage with them. Whether they like it or not, that's up to them to decide. But like there's an often, oftentimes a critique of bike lanes or listeners may know, I bring it up sometimes. I, I've reported on sort of transit in the past. That's one of my former beats. Yeah. Like there's a, a critique would be, well, I don't see anyone biking. We don't need bike lanes. We're like, well, they're not biking because there are no bike lanes. <laughs> like, yeah, if you build the bike lanes, they're going to ride bikes on it. If you, if you put IPAs in the cooler, guess what? Like people will probably be interested in at least trying them. Yeah, um, people like IPAs. Who would have Yeah, I know. Right. Breaking news. Uh, <laughs> tap lines. You write that down. That's an important note. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're in sort of the, the mid aughts. Coast does not yet exist because, uh, again, listener, 2007 is when Coast comes to be. But you you kind of size up South Carolina's beer laws. When does Pop the Cap, which is the the organization that that will ultimately, you know, you, that's the organization through which you're going to be doing this work. You and your you know your peers in the industry and mm-hmm. uh, other organizers that you Shanghai into the cause. Uh, when does Pop the Cap come into the picture? Where does that come from? So probably like 03, we started thinking, okay, we kind of want to do our own thing. Where do we even start with changing mm. the law so it's a feasible thing? And I was at, I want to, I forget, maybe GABF. I don't remember prior to that. And was talking to Sean, full steam. He was the head of Pop the Cap North Carolina. And mm-hmm. he's like, oh, hell yeah, I'll walk you through. And I'm like, oh, this sounds easy. <laughs> we can do this. <laughs> Sign me up. So we just start like low key, you know, making some pamphlets and uh, all under his tutelage like up of what they did and, and gathering up, you know, some support, which was, t- you know, consumer support was easy. Anything outside of that was hard. You know, wholesalers, tough, tough sell, politicians, tough sell. So we just wholesalers famously amenable to change uh, the distribution tier. Uh, very, they love change. Very open to it. They're very they're open. thrilled to hear about new ideas that will disrupt their business in fun new ways. <laughs> the thousand, you know, I don't even know how many breweries we have now. Yeah, they they were probably like, oh shit. So um, so we we were officially founded in two thousand five. Okay. Um, and then immediately started, you know, going to the state house and it's, I look back and I'm like, did I really think I could just me roll in there and be like, listen, <laughs> and they're going to be like, Oh, good point. Sure. <laughs> I think this is, so that's one of the questions I want to ask. So, so the law as it currently stands in 2005, when you form pop the cap, is it prohibits beers above was it 6.2, 6.25? I forget. Six point two, and and there's a there was there's a whole slew of other issues too. But that was our right. only goal at that time. Was this the is the target? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we were starting there. If if that was a no go, if we if they were gonna shoot down six point two, we were gonna scrap it and just move. <laughs> so that was our only, that was our only goal at that time. Again, there was okay. a list of like thirty things I wanted to address, right. but at that yeah, time, yeah. It was just the alcohol. So so you. You arrive in Columbia. Uh, you are you you're attending state house meetings, right? You're like you uh, you're like trying to engage. You're doing your civic duty. This is what it's supposed to look like. Tell me what you before this started. What you expected to happen? I honestly don't know. The Jersey <laughs> of me is like they will listen. It's insane. Um, so and I don't, again, you're talking a quite a long time ago. And a lot of things have happened since then where my memory is is like whoa. Well, Okay. Um, we got, I don't know how we got hooked up with representative Herb Kurzman. His family owned a brew pub 
in Colombia in the nineties that I, I don't, it's, it's definitely not there. I don't know how long it lasted. Um, and so he, that he was my clencher. He was my foot in the door. He was like, whatever you need, you know, we're going to walk you through this. So he was, you find a sympathetic legislator. Yeah. Correct. Got he it. Fantastic. So I, you know, probably wouldn't have gotten very far without somebody like him getting us in because you can't, you, you just can't just walk in there and say, Hey, listen to me. So, mm-hmm. and he was, you know, helping us set up meetings with the correct reps and all of that kind of thing to try to, you know, have our voice heard is what I was just hoping. They'll listen to me. You know, we made fancy pamphlets and, you know. You know that scene from like iRobot where they shut down the robot right at the end? And she's right. like, my logic is undeniable. My, you know, it's like you go in with an airtight argument, right? right. Like it's a very very intuitive idea, right? Hey, these laws haven't been updated in a hundred years. Look at all this economic activity that is being stimulated by the craft brewing industry in other states, similar states to ours, et cetera, et cetera. Gosh, who would say no to that, Jamie? Everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, we got shot down pretty hard the first year. Oh no. Um, If you look at the way, you know, bills and legislation work, that's Pretty, you know, that happens more often than not. Sure. Um, so I should have been disheartened, which I, I wasn't, I wasn't, but I'm, t- you know, you're right with Tenacious. I was just like, this is ridiculous. Keep going. Um, and then it kind of turned pretty quick though, because as you, as you know, we, we opened in 2007 and that's when the, right. law, the law first changed. So two years turnaround is actually pretty freaking good. Well, not take- bad. <laughs> All right. We're going to, we're going to get to the turnaround and, and the actual passage in just a moment, but who is involved in Pop the Cap? You uh, and Jamie, you're being somewhat modest here, but many, many sources when I was reporting at the local paper, the Post and Courier, uh, p- pointed to you as leading the charge. I think that there's not really much question that Jamie Tenney was out in front of the vanguard uh, trying to get this law changed. Who else is involved at that point, Jamie? Whew, let me think. Um, Total Wine got on board as kind of like, a little bit of a money stream um, mm. and did their behind the scenes, whatever they do and lobbies, lobbying people get together and do all their things. So they were, sure. um, and uh, for obvious reasons, we're all doing it for obvious reasons. I wanted to start my own brewery. They want to sell different beers. You know, her Kurzman just, you know, being who he was wanted, you know, fair, equitable business rights. So he was mm-hmm. doing it just because he thought it was a, you know, a, a right issue of where, what businesses should be able to do. Um, those first two years, that's probably it. And some support of like, oh God, I'm trying to think of what other breweries, most of there wasn't even other breweries to get on board because they didn't exist quite yet. Right. You can't press anyone into service. No, one, right. no one's there around. No one's, you know, no one's quite there yet. So for, for a nutshell, that's probably it for that, for that particular bill. What about, uh, what about consumer support? I mean, you oh, mentioned yeah. outreach. We've always been lucky with that. Yeah, what yeah. does that look like, though? Because this is also, I mean, social media exists at that point, but it is not the you know communication engine that it would later become uh, in the following decade. Facebook is what? I mean, like, how are you communicating with consumers? What was the mode? I feel like it was Twitter, maybe. Like, hey, Twitter. we have a bill up. Can you, you know, and I, I had a WordPress blog. Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was like, you know, we have a bill coming up tomorrow or there's a, a – because there was a, always a lot of either cancellations or quickly it's up there today. You have two hours to get, you know, mm. to get there. So there was a lot of driving to Columbia for no reason. Also dropping everything, having to get there real quick. So um, I feel like one time on Twitter, I put something out about that. And it was like, it just went 
the original viral, like people were all over it. And we, like, it was like a thousand calls. In fact, I don't remember what Senator was like. He was like, enough, stop calling us. We've had like, we, we totally <laughs> hit the so, that's the, that's the best thing you can hear. If you're yeah. a grassroots organizer is that a state senator is annoyed as shit because yeah. all your By supporters keep calling us yeah. off. <laughs> That's a win. You must have felt yeah. pretty good about that one. I did. I mean, I was like, okay, people do want this. I'm not like the only one. There's not five of us. There's a, a, a right. healthy, you know, argument. And so that felt pretty good. I was like, all right, <laughs> I think we're on to something. And so while this is happening, so 2006, the bill is put up, it fails, uh, you lick your wounds a little bit, you decide that this is still worth pushing towards, uh, you know you have consumer support, Coast is coming into being, you're writing, you're probably writing the business plan, maybe you already had it, you're fundraising, you're you're looking at uh, blueprints, or you're looking at locations, give us a sense for where the brewery is, while you're also leading this pressure campaign on the South Carolina legislature. Yeah, that's exactly right. Is that, you know, we're, we're, we're working our behind the scenes and hopes, and we had no money. We had nothing really to show anybody except like, we're going to try <laughs> to do this the best we can. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> we're going to make good beers. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and again, yeah, I, I'm surprised we got any funding early on because like, it was just not a thing. Um, so yeah, we're continually working on that. David's still, you know, brewing beer for professional, not for coast. Um, I am I at the biodiesel plant? I can't even remember. Uh, which was, you know, part of the reason we wound up on the Navy base because I was working at a business right behind where we're at now. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we're doing this, fingers crossed. Um, but we signed at least February two thousand seven. That law had not passed yet. Um, in hopes that it would, it did. Um, but I definitely held my breath for a couple weeks, like, oh, shit, this better, because what are we going to do then? Like, I guess we'll do it for a year and see, but not in the way we had thought. So it just it just had to go. It had to. And to be clear, listener, Coast is not in sort of like the extreme beer tradition, quote unquote. They make excellent balanced beers. A lot of your stuff would have, even in its current form, probably would have been allowed under law. Why was it so important, Jamie? even though you weren't setting out to make massive 10% ABV, you know, double IPAs or whatever, why was it important for the business uh, yeah. for this law to pass? Not even the business. More, more David, what David wanted to do with the business and what we wanted to drink. And some of that, mm. um, some mm. of that was over 6.2%. Could you imagine, like, we couldn't make Hop Art. That was definitely right. was the first IPA brewed in the state. It opened the door for just like, oh, hops are pretty cool. People, we like them. Uh, it's like, I don't know. I used to have an analogy. It's like opening a pizza place where you can only make pepperoni but not sausage. Come on. Mm. <laughs> it's like you're, you're just – you're cutting out a good bit of, you know, sure, we can make Kolsch. Um, but probably, I don't know, more than half of the beers we've made in 17 years would not have flown. Yeah. Yeah, so it's extremely limiting, of course. Like, and that's yeah, a, limiting to creativity. It's also annoying. It's and it's just, just annoying and it's just unnecessary. How much of this was driven by spite, Jamie? How much <laughs> did you just get irritated by how dumb it was and say, by hook or by crook, this yeah. law is getting changed? Um, it wasn't spite to begin with, even though it was still a stupid law. But yeah. after some of the re- some of the interactions in the state house are what you would expect, especially as a as a female coming in about beer. You know, we're still a minority in the beer world. 
a female yeah. from New Jersey who, who kind of has an attitude problem a little bit. Um, <laughs> you know, and I got a lot of, I got a lot of, what's the kind word? Uh, not, not even pushback, just condescending. Brush talk. off. Yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> so I got a honey, ba- I got a honey baby. Come sit. Come sit. Oh, no. um, some of that. And you're just like, all right, this is, this is real and this is ridiculous. So I, it, yeah. it, it did get a little spiteful just because of that reaction that I got. But overall, it was just a law that was outdated and needed to be current. So you start building consensus around that. In 2006, the law, the, the bill, excuse me, it's not a law, uh, the bill fails. Did you have an understanding about why it failed at first? Like, were you aware of who your at that time, who your ultimate opponent was there? Or did you get the sense? Like, in other words, like, when does this come into focus for you, the players on the field? Um, you know, what yeah. I'm, you understand what I'm getting at here? Yeah, I think so. And probably not until um, there was, there's a guy, Wesley Donahue, that was really helpful in bridging that gap mm. of being in politics, a lot, you know, all that world that I have no, not only no interest in, no understanding in, um, and he was helpful in kind of showing where the weakness was, what's really going on. But from, you know, from, from my memory, it was a lot of, and rightfully so, you know, mad. And I, I don't want people, you know, drunk driving either. Um, but a, a, a 7.7 hoppy beer is not the main driver of, of people. You know, you can still go to the store and buy a 40. You can still go and buy a grain alcohol. If you, you know. <laughs> right, so, right, right. So to me, that was that was a, a a big driving point. Is what we were hearing is that you know we don't need this high alcohol beer, and it's like, well, there's certainly there's more high alcohol things you can buy if you want. Try sure. you know chugging down a gallon of a nine percent IPA. Good luck with that. Right. Um, so there's yeah, if you're if your intent to is abuse that it's not craft beer. All right. So that's one objection. Sort of the pat uh, uh, health and safety. Uh, argument, sure. you know, like why would we introduce more high ABV uh, options into the marketplace? That's one yeah. objection. Are there are there others? What are the other things you hear when you're not hearing Honey Baby? Yeah, uh, the wholesalers. You know, mm. that's. I think it was just a not understanding where the future of beer was going, um, especially in a state that it's not like you said earlier, it didn't exist. So how would they even know, you know, what it is? Yep. yep. Um, so the wholesalers had, a, you know, a stink about that and you can infer what you want there, but um, they're a big lobbying group. And if you don't have at least not even support, just them not against you, it's a, it's a tough road. I'll let you, I'll let you leave it at that, but I will not let distributors off the hook to spell it out for Taplines listeners. In the middle tier, whether it's in South Carolina or any of the other 49 states, uh, wholesalers are an incredibly powerful political block. Uh, they donate more at uh, at the state house level than suppliers or retailers by far in election cycles for the most part. Um, they are very well organized in terms of uh, uh, industry initiatives and um, industry, you know, uh, potential dangers, uh, to the franchise that they, that they do business under. And so in South Carolina, it was not, I don't think that unique in this regard, but the, and we, I joked about this earlier, earlier, how they, oh, they love change. No, they very much don't. And 
in fairness to, to wholesalers, you know, change is hard. They have an enormous amount of capital tied up in business being done a certain way. Um, and they have very little incentive typically to be leading the charge on change. Yeah, and they're selling, they're selling what the market at that time wants. Right. And a lot of it. So, I, you know, I get why you – why would you change if you don't have to? If things yeah. are working out well for you, why are we messing with it? So how do you how do you bridge that gap? What happens after the bill fails in two thousand six? Wesley Donahue, who I think it's it's worth mentioning, is this. Um, I don't know if he's still working as a Republican operative, but he's he's very much like in sort of like the how the sausage gets made of you know side of politics. Um, and I think it's it's relevant just because. You have stakeholders from all over the place that you this is probably part of the learning process. Oh. Like we got to we got to find out our allies where we can find them. It doesn't. Yeah. Um, so Wesley Donahue helps you. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I don't give I, I, I don't care what side of whatever party you want to, you know, be on because it, it, it to me, it was it should have been an unbiased issue. Yeah. Um, and yep. affects a Republican beer drinker just as much as a Democrat beer drinker. It's true. Um, but his his knowledge his knowledge of the inner works of the politics was was incredible. So very um, plugged in in South Carolina politics. Yeah, very plugged in. And again, all these people are working for free at this point. None of us are. You know, nobody's making any money off of this. Yeah. So um, for for that knowledge to come free was you know we couldn't have done it without that. Yeah. Um. And 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 again, he had he has the ability to to speak across that that line. And he was able to deal with those wholesalers where I could not, they, mm-hmm. they weren't listening to me. In fact, they were super pissed off at me, mm. very, very upset with me. Um, so, you know, all of those key players are, are super important. And I don't think we'd be here, at least not on this timeline. We might be 10 years prior. It might've taken 10, 10 years longer to do. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. And it took, you know, some, some small, um, wholesalers to open and say, Hey, we want, you know, if you don't want that business, we want that business. My distributor is one of those, you know, they don't do any big house beer. They only carry craft beer. Um, and you know, and there's something to be said on to be with either type of distributor, but, um, so smaller distributors stepped in and said, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll fill that role if you're not. Was a craft only house even a thing in South Carolina? Was that the first one? And vintage might have been the first one. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there was another smaller one or two, but um, they were certainly one of the early ones. Just like yeah. us, you know, just like us. Like, hey, let's do this a little differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and that they get bullied too by, by bigger wholesalers, just like <laughs> you know we do. Sure, because sure. you know, big beer still rules for sure. Um, it still does, and it probably always will. And, you know, whatever, that's fine. I think people should have choice. Mm. If, if you choose to drink that, would you like it? Okay, great. <laughs> so. Yeah, fair. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. So the coast is is coming together. You guys are working to build out the brewery. You open in early 2007. Um, it, it's on the Navy Yard. Uh, you might have caught that, listener. Uh, North Charleston has a big, uh, it's called the Navy Yard, although the Navy no longer operates anything there, right, Jamie, yeah. or no? Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. all, at this point, like, being sort of parted out to private businesses or tenants or, or there's a park there. It's really, the park is great. Um, okay, so you guys open in an old instruments building on the Navy Yard, if I'm not mistaken. It's an old brick building. You guys are putting out beer for the first time. You guys, what are you, you're not canning at that point. Are you bottling? Uh, no, uh, we were bottling, 
probably two years in. So draft only, draft except only. Imp- uh, Imperial uh, Barrel Age Blackbeard. We put that out 07 in a in a in a bottle, but mostly draft. You know, you still can't tour brewery. You can't sample any beers. You can't buy any beer at a brewery. So there's that whole thing. These are some of the other laws that you mentioned. Yeah, correct. All those other laws that need to be addressed, which is why we had no tap room. We were just making beer to be sold via distributor for off-premise bars and restaurants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Only goal. But the target in 2007 is still, let's pop that cap, as the Correct. organization is called. You've yep. learned the ropes from your peers in North Carolina. You've taken a shot at it in 2005, or 2006, excuse me, uh, and learned lessons from the failure there. You've linked up with uh, people who understand the contours of political power in South Carolina, you've made nice with the distributors at this point. You'd, you'd kind of reached a detente with the distributors. Is that right? You know, Ish. I, <laughs> I, I forget what year it was, eight, 2008, 2009. I was audited by every organization you can be audited by from sales tax to, I mean, it was funny at that point I was laughing. You can, uh, you know, Who's trying to turn me in? I don't know, but I certainly oh, do not have any. I, I've never known any other business that got audited in one year by anything you can be audited by. It was just a revolving door like, hey, sitting in the milk crate on that desk and here's all my paperwork over and over and over. Oh. It, it all was fine because I'm very good at paperwork, but it was. it became like, okay, clearly someone's not happy with me. Who do you do we and, and you assume the car came from somewhere within the middle tier? Is that what I'm understanding? I mean, it's who who else was mad? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And it's yeah. you know, it doesn't matter now. At the time I was pretty pissed off about it. But, I don't blame you. Um, again, change. Nobody likes it. All right. Well, en- enough people, enough stakeholders yeah. were behind this. Where were consumers at this point? Is is support just growing? Even, oh, yeah. You know, you said a thousand calls one day to a state senator. Where is consumer support in 2007? Are you guys asking for letters written? Are you guys asking oh, yeah. you know emails? What does the campaign look like from the drinker's perspective? Oh, yeah. That that's, was the strongest and probably still is the strongest um, support. And mm-hmm. they did it. Emails, calls, all of it. They did it because they wanted it. And, you know, I think that was the tipping point for sure. And I think the wholesalers just realized that they – you know, I don't think they supported it at that point, but they laid off yeah. enough yeah. to say, okay, we're just going to step back. Because wholesalers are still in the business of selling beer. If there's this many people sure. saying, hey, we want this beer, well, that's an yeah. opportunity. I mean, at some point, you know, 100%. you got to yeah. you gotta go with the flow. Okay, so yeah. when does the bill – It's at this point in 2007, I looked it up. It's HB 3218 is, is the bill. Um, when does that – when does it pass? Where are you? How does it happen? Tell us. We signed the, our lease on our current building early February. And I want to say Sanford signed it in like third week of March. Mm. Governor Mark Sanford there. at the time. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So, you know, again, a couple of weeks of holding our breath. But obviously looking back, I felt confident enough to sign a five-year lease. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's all blurry, but I must have because I wouldn't have. I don't do like willy-nilly thing so i must have felt pretty confident it seemed point. like a good idea at the time yeah and i was going for it. what's the <laughs> what do you do you go out to celebrate where were you in columbia when he signed it do you remember where you were 
I, I think we were working. We we're like, all right, well, we can continue the work now. Oh, classic husband and wife brewery owner answer right there. Yeah, <laughs> no, I did that night. I did go. This is funny. They kept calling it the high gravity bill, which I hated because that's not, it wasn't about just getting high gravity beer, but okay, right. you go with it. So I went to the Piggly Wiggly that night, which of course I'm in the South. Like you have to go to the Piggly Wiggly to see like if they have any out, like what the deal is. And they had this whole huge banner, like high gravity beers here. I was like, oh, they had this pre-printed. So they were ready. Yeah. And they had all these like 22s, like three philosophers, all these big boozy, like all these big, and I'm like, huh. And I bought a couple, which I still have, by the way, um, just because I could. Yeah. I just wanted to see like, is this real? (laughs) Right. Are you going to get arrested by SLED, uh, the state state law enforcement agency, as soon as you walk out the door? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yep, yep. There was a few other people there doing the, and it was like, it was like seven, eight o'clock. You know, I think the bill was signed like maybe one or two, um, seven, eight o'clock. There was a few other people doing the same thing. And I just thought the whole banner was funny. I just, so if they had it, if they had it on shelves and everyone, yeah, they under, were ready. everyone knew it was going through. I mean, and the distributor obviously knew cause they brought the beer to him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. So yeah. everyone had the drop on this. Okay. Yeah. I guess, <laughs> I guess. I still remember holding my breath and thinking, Oh, at any minute, at the yeah, 11th like, hour. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah. what happens after, I mean, that's the immediate aftermath, but I'm talking about like, so, so where does the scene go, you know, with the revised law on the, well, first of all, let's talk about what the revised law actually does. I was taking some notes. It bumps it from 6.25% ABV to uh, 17, 17.5, 17.7, something along those lines. Do you remember? I think so. Seventeen point seven five. Yeah. Something like that. I always get the ABV and the ABW mixed up. But yeah, plenty, plenty yeah. enough. Like, there's not many seventeen beers that I'm wanting to sip yeah. on. Yeah, it's it, plenty. Well, sure. It's not wide open. You know, it's not open ended. Um, you had to have that limit somewhere. Who, who cares? What? That's fine. There's not many beers you want to be messing around with that level anyway. So. Yeah. And that actually weirdly exceeded North Carolina's cap. It's it revised did, cap. Too, yeah. yeah. North Carolina legislature in 2005 uh, lands at 16% ABV uh-huh. and yeah. South Carolina yeah. legislature lands at 17.75% ABV. Uh, one of the vagaries or just sort of idiosyncrasies of this legislative process. We don't know how that happened, do we? I don't remember what, how we got to that number, but sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll take, take it. it. It's, yeah. it's probably the only thing we've got better than North Carolina still as far as your laws. That <laughs> yeah. Self-distribution win. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> okay, so in the immediate aftermath, we get you get the, the law change. You have a little celebration uh, with yourself, Jamie Tenney, at the Piggly Wiggly. Um, yep. And... Then what happens to Charleston's craft brewing scene, to South Carolina's craft brewing scene? I mean, you're front and center for it. Your business is in its early days. You struggle through an audit just nine months later, it sounds like, which is no fun. But uh, uh, what does the scene look like? How does it take shape? What's the velocity feel like after this? Yeah, and again, those those first couple years are all a blur to me because we were so just bootstrapping. Delirious with exhaustion, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we, we did not get our equipment online and all that till September. Uh, our first beers went out the end of September. Mm-hmm. Evo Pizzeria brought, bought our first keg. Um, and they were chomping at the bit. Everyone was 
extremely excited. We have, you know, some of those early accounts are still supportive of us and vice versa. So that is that part of this business community is super awesome. It's about a Evo business or Evo pizzeria. She mentioned listeners about a 10th of a mile from where Co stands. This is still the era of people just being jazzed about local, like a, Oh, we have a brewery in town. I mean, now that doesn't sound like as much of a novelty, but it was, Oh, it was a big deal. Yeah. A very big deal. Yeah. So we, we made Cole Hopper and Rhinot Brown that September three beers. We still make only two of those year round. Rhinot's a seasonal, but it's out now. It's a great, you know, it's like, it's that first fall beer in my mind, like our first seasonal beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, and I don't remember which keg they bought, but they were our first keg and it was like, all right, you know, it was, Again, you had to sell it via distribution, even though it was, it is. You can roll it there. (laughs) Um, Whatever, that's fine. Um, And it was pretty cool, you know, and they still carry our beer. So 17 years later, two two independent small businesses who support each other still going. That's no small feat, especially in, in today's business climate. Agreed. So where, where does the scene go from there? So you, you start selling your in, you know, sort of these early months and years of coast. I know a lot Mm -hmm. of it's a blur, but you start to be joined by other breweries in the greater Charleston area, right? Who do you have any recollection of like, what are the other early ones at that point? I want to say it's Westbrook and Holy city, Mm -hmm. probably two, maybe three years later. Yeah. Yeah. And both, both of them are still operating Westbrook's, uh, in, in uh, Mount Pleasant, which is right over right. Uh, the the bridge from yeah. North Charleston, and, and then Holy City relocated right near us, literally yeah. on the same creek. Yeah. So yeah. we've got a kind of a little beer scene going here in North Charleston, which is super cool too. So yeah, I mean, like it seems like no, you know, every every city has breweries nowadays, but dude, it was hard. You had to really want to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What happens to Pop the Cap? Pop the Cap immediately was like, okay, that's great. Well, how about everything else that you can't go? <laughs> like you can't go to a brewery and taste a sample of beer. Are you freaking kidding me? So uh, that's a good point, Jamie. Outline for us some of those other. You know, Pop the Cap is a single issue organization yeah. until 2007, when Governor Sanford, then Governor Sanford, signs uh, the law revising the ABV limit. What are the other, you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, what are the other wish list items amongst your I mean, at that point, peers? it was everything. It was literally everything. Yes, I can make a beer over 6%. That's it. I can send it out via distribution, and that's it. So you couldn't go to a brewery and sample beers. You couldn't certainly buy anything. Mm-hmm. So we just started chipping away at those little things, um, little bits at a time. We got a attorney who um, is still running. We changed our name a couple of times, South Carolina Brewers Guild, South Carolina Beer, because it wasn't just now about Pop the Cap. Right. Um, so we got Brick Bristow to um, kind of take it and really organize it now because I couldn't do all that myself anymore anyway. And you really needed, you know, a, a, a bigger board to kind of serve where we were heading because it was going to be a lot of work. Sure. um, And thankfully that, that support was there too. So um, I, I retired from retired. I love that. Uh, Pop the cat or South Carolina beer, whatever you want to call it in, I think 15. So it's been eight years Mm -hmm. um, after several, you know, bill passages in that time period. What are the other wins? Yeah. What are the other big wins? There was one in 2014. In 2010, I think. I can't remember now. Oh nine ten, we got where you could come have four 
four-ounce samples, hysterical. Right. I um, mean, you had to, like, punch a card. I mean, just like, oh, my gosh. I, I would have quit. If we never got past that, it'd be over. I'd be doing something <laughs> else. Um, and then it became, like, the stone pint bill um, where you could have a whole pint of beer. Um, and then you could purchase up to 288 ounces to go um, slowly just, you know, whittling away at those ridiculous laws. Dragging South Carolina's beer law code into something closer to the 21st century. Correct. Um, not, um, yeah, little by little. Are there, what are the wish lists? I mean, I know you're not actively organizing now, but you're still actively running a brewery in South Carolina in 2023, all these years later, uh, 16 years after. 17 years. Um, yeah. for, for us, we're, we're pretty happy where we are. We're a full bar now. We do cocktails, wine. We have a full kitchen. Um, so I'm pretty happy where I am. I, every brewery kind of has their, you know, wish list. Um, we did get, um, six kegs. You can now buy a, a six directly from a brewery this year that just happened. So that was, you know, that's a big deal. I haven't started doing that because I'm like, Oh my gosh, the paperwork needed and everything else. But you could do it. Yeah. You could. You could. See, that's the thing options have the choice for people and they yeah, can choose yeah. not to choose to do that um so for me i'm pretty i'm pretty happy um i'm sure the the south carolina brewers guild i think that's what they're called now um ha, you know you always have to be kind of you know ready to i feel like always have to be defensive for anything that might come along to jeopardize how far you've come mm-hmm. Um, so you always have to be ready for that. But as far as, you know, self-distribution, I, you know, that's great for a small brewery. That's probably not something we'll ever really do because, you know, we've been with our distributor for a really long time. Uh, you, you see the work that is needed there. It's not an easy job for them either, sure. especially with the market, um, how, how much it's grown and how many, you know, breweries, but all that stuff and the pressure that everyone's under. Um, post pandemic and everything else. So, you know, that's not something I want to, that's not part of a business that I want to develop. That's for sure. Right. Um, Although it is, it is something that some breweries may want. And currently it's not allowed in South Carolina. Not allowed. And again, you should have that option and you can choose to do that. Yeah. So I think that's probably a long time off um, from ever happening, but yeah, that's another thing. It should be an option for people. It just probably most likely will not be an option for me <laughs> for, yeah, for yeah. coast in general. Fair enough. Jamie, I want to zoom out a little bit. We've talked through 1993, scrolled the time machine back up to the present day here in 2023. You've got a pretty unique perspective on weeding through the thicket of American or Southeast, you know, the American Southeast's Blue laws. I mean, blue laws are something that I think a lot of people think, you know, are a hundred years ago or, or were not on the books. In South Carolina, as we've discussed over the course of this episode, um, this is very recent history. This was not a long time ago. People had iPhones, uh, you know, like when yeah, less st- than 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you're also, you know, you're not an outsider now. You've lived there for much of your adult life, but you were an outsider coming in. You're from the more uh, typically more politically liberal uh, Northeast where you see New Jersey, Pennsylvania, all these states have their own idiosyncrasies and Byzantine <laughs> rules with regards to alcohol, uh, the alcohol trade. But you weren't seeing the, those types of uh, 
you know, restrictions on the book where you're seeing like ABV restrictions. So this is something that was not happening where you came from. It's happening where you want you you find your way into the beer industry in South Carolina. What would you like people to know that like you experienced during this sort of battle to get pop the cap changed? What what did you not expect going into it, or what was like a big takeaway, or were there you know sort of things you learned along the way about like man this is this is crazy that stuff's like this, or this is crazy that. Uh, I'm not able to get a hold of my lawmaker or maybe there was a law, you know, there's, there was a guy who was very helpful to you. Like, tell us a little bit about how you think about this, this effort in hindsight. Well, it's a big sweeping question. Right. As you age, you kind of get this funny perspective on, on the youth and, you know, the The energy, the kids today and the kids then the energy that I had and the, I won't take no for an answer. Um, and, as some people have said, that Jersey attitude, um, I, I, I definitely had to learn to temper it a little bit mm. and place it in the right, you know, the right time and place, um, which is fine. You know, a little humility <laughs> goes is, a long is, way. It, yeah. It's not a bad thing. Um, and it, you know, like I said earlier, it's, I'm glad that it happened then because I could not, I couldn't do it now. I just don't have, not that I still don't get mad about about things and and laws or whatever bike lanes especially too nowadays um being able to ride your bike in this freaking town doesn't mean i don't get mad about it but i didn't have that just kind of like i must change things in my way oomph anymore so that i think that's good and bad um i'll write a letter sure i'll make some calls but i'm not driving to columbia at the drop of a hat for to subject myself to that kind of thing really so, no one no one should ever have to drive to columbia <laughs> unless they're in the right mental state to do so <laughs> yeah. yeah and I, I i guess i was at that time but it was it took a lot at the toll that the, the toll is great for that because you know it took a lot not just pop the cap but starting this business sure and 17 years later we're like, wow, that really took a lot out of us. Our family, you know, our kids had to um, sit on the sidelines or had to go to work with us. Constantly. You know, it was just, it took a lot to run it. And it still does take a lot to run a small business. And my perspective now is, you know, I still don't know if that was the right, you know, was that the right choice? I don't know. It, it, I, I don't try to question things much about yesterday. I'm more focused on like today and tomorrow. Mm. But um, that, you know, is definitely a significant um, impact on my life, my family, David's life. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'll continue that path as is because it has it just it, it's a lot. So, you know, I'm I'm kind of looking to the future. It's been awesome to have this new tap room. I love it. It took five years and four months to build a battle so it a little bit. Um, and, and seeing the area around us change so fast now, um, you know, we'll see, I'm kind of looking to the future with one eye kind of like, hmm, <laughs> where am I? Do, do you find the position of elder stateswoman? You're not an old, <laughs> you're not an elder, I wouldn't say, but in terms of your time in the yeah. industry, and yeah, yeah. you feel like, <laughs> uh, in terms of your time in the industry and working in South Carolina to, to get these laws changed and working to grow, the craft brewing scene and to grow coast in a way that, you know, fits with your values and fits with the community. Uh, what is the position of elder stateswoman in the South Carolina craft brewing scene feel like to you? You know, it doesn't feel like much anymore because I'm just so focused. I've been so focused on getting this new phase up and running. Yeah. yeah. 
you know, I'm, I'm running behind the bar as well. Our younger, our younger son who was six when we started coast is my bar manager, cocktail program guy, like killing it over there. So it's, it's funny to see the next generation kind of step in with their own ideas. And, um, you know, he's got to be the long, the youngest, at least longest running, uh, in the brewery industry in the state, I've got to say. Since <laughs> um, so that, that part is really cool. Um, but you know, it's not all been peaches and cream for sure. And I, I finally had to just realize that's what it, you know, this is what it is. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I'm going to enjoy it for as long as I can and, and see where it takes me next. And if you want to brew a beer up to 17.74% ABV, I you are. You are more, well, you're more than welcome to. And that's you're the important. Yeah. And the law <laughs> says you can brew it up to that. So Jamie Tenney, thank you so much for joining us on tap lines. Uh, folks, if you get a chance, North Charleston is the town. Coast brewing is the place. I can't recommend it enough. Jamie, thanks so much for joining us and taking us uh, down memory lane. Yeah, man. Come see us again. I would love that. <laughs> All right. Cheers. Taplines is recorded in Richmond, Virginia, and produced by yours truly and Darby Seaside, who, along with the talented Shane Farrick, composed our delightful soundtrack. Just listen to it. I also want to give a quick shout out to the entire Vine Pair team, and especially co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon, editor-in-chief Joanna Sherino, managing editor Tim McCurdy, and art director Danielle Grinberg, who designed our lovely Taplines logo. And of course, a big thank you to you, yes you listener, for spending time with us week in and week out. We literally couldn't do this without you. I'm Dave Infante, and I'll catch you next time.